Let's open our Bibles, uh, Psalm 13. <clears throat> Psalm 13, and, uh, you know, uh, until we uh, start a new book, I'm doing a few passages with uh, uh, some of my favorite passages. And last time uh, we did Second uh, Chronicles 20, you remember that one? Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat facing the vast army, giant army, and, and uh, he says, we don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. And that's kind of like me, for, that's my life verse. I don't know what to do most of the time, uh, all the time, I should say. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord, he'll tell you what to do. He'll show you what to do if you ask. And they were facing this attack and the war, and, and Jehoshaphat, he prays and he, and he and gets people to pray and to fast, and says they sought help from the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord spoke to them and told them, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged, just like the song we sing, because the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's, and He will fight for us, and he'll fight, He fought for them. He told them to take up their positions, to show up, to stand firm and see what, what he would do. And, and, uh, and in the middle of all that, they fall down and worship before the Lord, and then they stand and they praise him. And, and you remember uh, one of the most exciting things about it is as they went, you remember what Jehoshaphat did? What did he do? As they went out to fate, face the battle, what? They sang. He put, he put the singers out in front of the army so that the singing would be the first. And uh, that was, that's pretty exciting. God uses music, doesn't he? And it says there, it says, um, as they began to sing and praise, that the Lord set ambushes in the battle. Uh, you know, they, the enemy began to fight against themselves. And, but as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set these ambushes and and stuff started happening. God gave the victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. I want you to remember that in your own life, too. And, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about singing here in this Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a very powerful psalm. As you can see, it's only six verses, very short. A psalm of David. And so many times, we turn... Our, we turn our eyes toward the Psalms. Why is that? Because there's something about the Psalms. The, the, uh, some people have called them the songs of the heart because there's something in them. David is just like, and he's written you know, a good portion of them. And then there are others that have written some of the Psalms too, Solomon and Moses and then others, the, uh, Asaph and others. Uh, but there's something about the Psalms. They just put, their, their, they put themselves right out there, They're, the way they feel inside their emotions, what they're thinking. Sometimes the thoughts aren't so good. Like, God, I want you to wipe those people out right now. You know, that kind of thought. And, and, and it, it, you know, these, these kinds of things are right there. But we read them and we can relate to them because they are, they're, they're right there for you and for me. Psalm 13, as you will see, is called the How Long Psalm. How Long. And Spurgeon called it the Howling Psalm. Howling. And I think you and I can relate to that too, and you'll see why. Let's read the psalm, and then we'll, we'll look at each verse. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes 
or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Let's say a prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It is powerful. It's living. It's active. And, and we pray that our hearts would be open to your word and what you want to say to us this morning, right here, right now in this psalm, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Do you notice there in verse 1, he starts it off. He starts it off with that title of the psalm, How Long, O Lord, How Long, and four times, if you notice, four times it just gets repeated over and over again. How long? And, and again, uh, the... We can relate to that because how many times are we thinking the same kinds of thing? Is it, isn't it long enough? Isn't this long enough? How long until dinner? You know, how long until I get a job? How long till I get a promotion? How long until winter is over? Well, it's just started, I hate to tell you. 20 degrees out there this morning. How long till Jesus comes back? How long will this sermon be? We, we don't like to wait. We want things to happen now, and, and it's part of our drive-through society, isn't it? Our drive-through mentality. If you go to a restaurant and you have to wait more than like 10 minutes, like what is wrong with those people back there? What are they doing back there? Well, you know, if you go to a real fancy place and you pay a lot of, middle, a lot of money, they want you to wait. Just, make, just pretend you're in a fancy, expensive place, and you're really over at IHOP or something. One man said this, the experience that is expressed in this psalm is intensely human. And I like what he says, listen to this, how swiftly our joys seem to pass and how long our sorrows seem to last. The good stuff, it's like gone, it's over, you know. Go down to the beach in, in Florida, it's like that week was gone like this. And then the week when you come back, it's like this is the longest week of my entire life. Like what is going on? He says, that, he says that, not that it is always so, but it seems to be so. Time flies with full-fledged wing in our summer days, but in our winters, he flutters painfully. I want to add here a, a note as well that it, you, if you do a study about this, and there's like, if you just, uh, just count how many times it says how long in there, there's like 65 times it comes up in your little computer program, right? But some of those times are when God is saying how long to people. It's not just us saying how long to God. It's when God is saying, how long are you going to be like this? How long is your neck going to be so stiff? How long are you going to fight against me? And I think, I think we need to remember that because he's still saying that to us today. Like, how long are you going to act like a dodo bird? How long are you going to refuse to listen to me? What did Jesus say to his disciples? How long must I... How long, how long must I put up with you, remember? How long must I put up with you? I think the King James is a little different. What is it? How long must I suffer? I think it is. How long must I suffer with you? He's suffering with us. We're talking, we always, you know, we're so man-centered, human-centered that we think about that. But, but I think the idea of the Bible, of the whole scripture is for us to get our eyes off of us and get them on him. And that's what happens at the end of the psalm. But one commentator said this, he said, David wondered what was delaying the chariot of God. 
What is delaying the chariot of God? And, and you know, we wonder that sometimes too. And, and again, he asks this question, how long? But there's other questions that we ask too, aren't there? Other questions like when or why or what? And we, we ask these things, and, and someone said this, that, that this language and this language of impatience and complaint is found frequently in the prayers of the Psalms. It's all over in there. Again, that's why we can relate to it. It says, it expresses the relief, the anguish of relief not yet granted, and exhibits the boldness with which the psalmist wrestled with God on the basis of their relationship with Him. You see, it's not a bad thing for us to be calling out to God. Why is it in the Bible? And we say, you know, you don't ask God why. You don't ask God how. You don't... No, it's okay because this is what David's doing, isn't he? Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean God's gonna, always going to give you all the answers to those questions, but it's not wrong to wrestle these things out with God. Let me tell you something. He can handle it. He can handle it. He can deal with it. He can deal with you. Now, you may not want to do that in, you know, in front of a whole bunch of group of people. And if I got up here and, and told you everything that I was struggling with, you'll go, that guy, man, I, I'm going somewhere else, you know. But between you and God, you see, there's this relation. That's why he said on the basis, they wrestled with God on the basis of their relationship with him, on the basis of the relationship you have with God. He, he knows you. He knows how you think and how you act and what's going on in your life. He can deal with it. Pour it out to him. We see here in these verses now five Five different burdens or problems that were really kind of pressing down on David, crushing him, some would say. Number one is that he thought he was forgotten by God. Number two, God's face was hidden from him. Number three, he had incessant wrestling in his thoughts. Number four, everyday sorrow. And number five, the enemy seemed to be winning. We're going to look at each one of those. The first one is... He says there in verse 1, Will you forget me forever? Do you ever think that you've been forgotten by God? Do you ever feel that way? Like, God, where, you know, did you forget about me? You know, remember me? Do you ever feel that way? And then do you ever say it like this, like David? Forever? Have you forgotten me? Like, forever? It's been like forever since you said anything to me, since I've seen you working in my life. that we think it's forever. It's been like five minutes, but it's like forever, you know? We got, you know what hyperbole is? <clears throat> I had to look it up. <clears throat> I know what it is, but I had to look up the, the exact definition. A figure of speech, <clears throat> excuse me, in which exaggeration is used for emphasis or effect. Extravagant exaggeration. Do you guys ever do that? No, <laughs> never. You just did it just there if you say that never, because it's not true. We do it all the time. Some people do it more than others. I'm not going to mention any names or any ethnic uh, backgrounds. We think it's forever, though, and, and, and you know God's time is not our time, right? His ways are not our way. His timetable is not our timetable. And, and, you know, <clears throat> but David, again, David is being real with God, and he says it felt like to him, it felt like forever. And 
to us sometimes it feels like forever. It's not, but it feels that way. It's not forever. Peter said, you know, you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. It seems like forever, but he says it's just for a little while. And the truth of the matter is on this, on this point here is that while you and I, we forget God over and over, don't we? We forget about Him. Like repeatedly throughout the day, we forget about God. But He can never forget about us. It's not possible for Him to forget about us. He is unable to forget about you and for me. I love what it says in uh, Isaiah 49. Uh, <clears throat> it says, Zion said, you know, the people of God, Zion, Jerusalem. He says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And this is the answer that came back. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Can a mom forget the baby? Goes on to say, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, he says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. That's what God said about his people. And I think he says it about, about us too. And, and it made me think just as, as I was reading that, there are, of course, the, the palms of, of Jesus' hands. You know, the nails are probably were about here, most likely. But you think about the, the nails, the scars there, that, that he can never forget you and me. The second one he says there in the second half of verse 1, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face from me? Look at uh, Psalm 30, verse 7. I'm going to keep you kind of close to home because the Psalms are, are so full of, of uh, <clears throat> verses that, that tie together. But Psalm 30, verse 7. Another Psalm of David. Let's start in verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. He was doing pretty good at that moment. And then verse 7, O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Isn't life like that? In one moment he's saying, you know what, I, I'm doing so good right now, I'll never be shaken. But then he felt like God hid his face from him, and then he was dismayed. Like, oh, what's going on? What's going on in my life? What's going on in the world? What's going on with you and me, God? David said those words. In Psalm 69, he says, Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Psalm 88, Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Again, just speaking out, God, I, I can't see your face. I'm not able to see. It, it seems there's all kinds of other verses that speak about this. It seems like a common experience where we just feel like God is hiding his face. I can't. I can't see you, God, in this. But the truth is, God is not hiding from us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, in this life, we only see but a poor reflection. We can't, like, see it clearly. That doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's hiding himself from us just because we can't see what it is that he's doing or we can't see his face. He's there. He's never left us. Never forsaken us. But I love what he says, and it, and it gives me such hope and, and, uh, where he says, but then we shall see what? Face to face. 
we see through a glass darkly or a poor reflection, but then we shall see face to face. The way we're able to see his face here and now, it's, it's a walk of faith, you know. We're not going to see him like we will see him. And so the Bible says we walk by faith, but not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. But that doesn't mean that he's not there. Number three, maybe you can relate to this one. He says in verse two, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Our own thoughts? I think, I think this is a, a, just a theory of mine, that we are our own worst enemies. You know, and we get these things going on, and you don't even have to have OCD to have this stuff happening and just going over and over and over again. Seems like it's worse at nighttime. I don't know why. Probably because there's nothing else going on and you've got the same thing going over and over again. Any of you feel that way? Any, that happened to any of you by any chance? Any stri- Never. Yeah. Forever. Always. Those hyperbolic. Hyperbolic? Did I make that up? Hyperbolic words? I'm using it differently now. Hyperbolic. Don't get out your smartphones and look that up. Do not get out your smartphones. We drive ourselves completely insane with our own thoughts. Just We don't need anybody else to help us. We will drive ourselves insane by, by these things going over and over again. I'm wrestling with my own thoughts. You, you know, you're supposed to be sleeping, having a good night's rest, and, and you feel like you've been wrestling all night long. There's lots of different wrestling that, that takes place. I know that. We call it wrestling at home. You wrestle with yourself. You wrestle with the enemy. And, and even Jacob wrestled with who? With God, really. Spurgeon said this, uh, ruminating upon trouble is bitter work. Ruminating, that's going over and over again in your minds, is bitter work. Turn with me to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Making this easy for you, just pages ahead. Psalm 55, verse 1. David again. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me. And I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked. For they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My thoughts trouble me. I'm distraught. He had his own thoughts, but he also the enemy was throwing these things at him as well. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. All these things going on. Verse 6, look at it. He says, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee away and stay in the desert. I'd hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. If, if, I, could, if I only had wings, I would get out of here. I would get away from all this. But is that, is that possible? Really, it isn't. We don't have wings. We can't get out of there. Sometimes it's good things that we, that we uh, are, are wrestling with, and sometimes it's, it's not wrong, again, for us to have to wrestle through things and try to figure things out in our own minds, 
try to figure things out with God's help, like what is going on? I, I need some understanding here. And that's what David is saying in, back here in Psalm 13. Like, I need to know what's going on. That's why he says later, give light to my eyes. Let me see. I need to understand what's going on here. It's not wrong to, to tell him that because I believe he will answer. David, uh, excuse me, Daniel, he says this, that I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. God was showing him some things and they were pretty heavy stuff. That's out of Daniel chapter 7. He was deeply troubled inside, but God was showing him some things too and, and, and it was something he had to just keep within himself. Sometimes you need to keep things within yourself between you and God. Sometimes there's things that you need to ask a brother or a sister who might have some wisdom from God to help you figure it out. That's not wrong, right? In the multitude of counselors, there is safety, the Bible says in the Proverbs. So sometimes we need help with, with, uh, with working through things and, and the things that we're wrestling with. Ultimately, though, we need to know the answer comes from God. And we'll see in the end of the psalm, ultimately trusting in him is really the answer. How about number four, point number four in the things that we, that we struggle with in, last, in the, the middle part of verse two, every day have sorrow in my heart. Every day have sorrow in my heart. That, that heart me, uh, being the very deepest part, the very center of who we are. Any of you know what that's like? Sorrow in the very center of who you are. You know, we don't admit stuff like that, but you know what? It's a, it, it, again, is also a common experience that we face. Just the, the things of this world. Life brings pain. Life is difficult. We don't want to focus on all that, but, but the truth of the matter, David, he said he's got this, this sorrow, in, and, he, and notice he says every day. Again, that might be hyperbole, right? He might be saying it's like every day when it's really not every day. Or it might be the truth. Every day you wake up and you've got this sorrow you've got to deal with. Every day you've got to, you've got to somehow find that place with God, that peace with God. Every day you've got, to get, you've, got, you've got to get up and put one foot in front of the other. Every day you have to struggle and fight and go before God. I don't know which one it is for David. It doesn't really matter. But for you and I, we're all different too. And life in this world, it's a broken, painful world. And, and, you know, many of us have sorrow in the very depths of our being for whatever reason. I want you to look at Psalm 90 with me. This is a psalm of Moses. <clears throat> a psalm of Moses, Psalm 90 and verse 10. <clears throat> it's quite an encouraging word here for us from Moses. He says, the length of our days is 70 years or 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. He says life is short, really. They quickly pass and we fly away. But he's, look what he says there, their span or, or what's in them is trouble and sorrow. And that's part of what life is. That's just a reality. We don't like it, nobody likes it, but it's part of the reality of being in this broken, fallen world. We don't focus on it, we don't just be consumed by it, 
But that's why we turn our eyes towards God. Interesting, let me read to you a couple more verses, though. Solomon says, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You see what he means? You get a lot of wisdom, and that kind of adds some sorrow, too. You get a lot of knowledge, and you, you know more things, and, oh, I wish I didn't know about all that. But then he says later in Ecclesiastes 7, he says, Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. I'm not sure what he meant by that. I'd rather laugh. But I think what he's saying is that in the middle of it, there's something that comes out of it. Jeremiah said, Oh, my comforter in sorrow, my, my heart is faint within me says in, in chapter 8, Oh, my comforter and sorrow. And then later in Jeremiah chapter 20, he says, Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Like, why was I even born so I could face this? David says, How long every day have sorrow in my heart? Jesus was a man of sorrows, it says too, though. But, but my answer to this a uh, particular point is this in Revelation chapter 21. He says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's the hope that we have, the blessed hope, eternity with God doesn't mean that God doesn't help us with our sorrows now, like uh, Jeremiah said, my comforter in sorrow. And then the last one that he was battling, he says in, in the last part of verse 2, how long will my enemy triumph over me? Sometimes it just seems like the enemy's winning. Don't you ever feel that way? just feels like it. But it's not necessarily the truth. Why? Because... Paul told us in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Jesus won the victory for us. We're going to get to that a little bit more in a minute. So part one, part one is here in verses one and two, these five different things that, that David was facing. And, and we, how many, how many of you, how many of you related to all five? a lot of you. Tony's back there going, <laughs> maybe some of you just one, or maybe just two, or maybe three, but you know, a lot of us, like all five, like, whoa, David, how did you know? Well, it, because the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, uh, you know, working through David, writing these words that you and I could have today, some, you know, 3,000 years later. So the verses one and two are, are really despair, and then verses 3 and 4 are prayer. He knows what he needs to do. What you need to do is pray. Really, that's what you need to do is pray. You need to turn your eyes where the answers lie. You can't just focus on those things. If you just say, well, we're going to just get counseling and we're going to just talk about the problems and we're going to face all these fears and all this stuff. You know what? You could do that for a little while, but you're not going to get anywhere in the end. You need to look outside of that. Right? It's like the... the, 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 the the animal in the little cage. You're going to keep going round and round and round about that, but until you get off that thing and get your eyes and, and your hearts 
focus toward God, it's just going to keep going on and on. You're never going to get out of it. And so he says, pray. By what he does here in verse 3, he says, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. He begins to pray. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Notice he says, O Lord my God. He still had faith in his God. And, and listen to this Spurgeon. Uh, I had a bunch of quotes from Spurgeon today. He says this, that he was not destroyed by all his trials and sorrows. He says, we may lose our gourds, but not our God. We may lose our gourds, but not our God. You know, he had lots of trials and stuff, and, and he was out of his head, but, but he still had his God. He said, oh, Lord, my God, look on me and answer. Oh, Lord, my God, you got to have a relationship with God or you got no hope. Without him, what, what good is it? You're just going to keep going around and around about all those different things. Oh, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. Unless God turns on the light, he says, let me see or I'm going to die. Let me see or I'm going to die. Again, it's that kind of exaggeration, extravagant. I'm going to die. If, if I don't see something right now, I'm going to die. Well, I don't think he was really going to die right then. But we feel that way, right? I think what he was going to say was, it's wicked dark down here. It's wicked dark. We need, we need to see. God, open our eyes. We've got to get some perspective. We need some vision here. We need some light on the, on the subject. I can't see. He says, my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will re rejoice when I fall. If you don't help me quit, quick, I, I'm going you know, to go down. I'm falling. My enemy is going try to try to take over. So first he is in despair and then he begins to have prayer. And I think you can pretty much sum up the prayer as God help. Or you could even just say one word, help, as long as it's focused toward him. And, and I think our, our prayers don't need to be fancy. We just need to know where we're going to. Help. God, help. That sums it up pretty well for me. Get on your face before God and say help. I read a biography about A.W. Tozer, and uh, he was brilliant. Uh, he had a, his whole focus was on having a relationship with God, but he also faced these very dark times. And, and his prescription for that, and I, learned, I know he learned it in his own, the crucible of his own experience, was to get on his face before God and, and get quiet and spend time before him by yourself. Verse 5, the last part, part 3, is where the whole thing kind of turns the corner. And that's why uh, I, I love this psalm because it's, it's so short and simple and you can kind of get your, get your mind wrapped around the whole thing and, and then uh, uh, you know, memorize these last two verses. Very easy to memorize. They're so short. He says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for He has been good to me. Number one of this little trinity of trusting, rejoicing, and sing, singing is trust. I trust. All those things are happening, but, he says, I trust. 
but I trust. That's what makes the difference. The dictionary says uh, in in, uh, a definition for trust is assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Dependence on something. It's reliance and and dependence on something outside of ourselves, someone or something. And in this case, it's obviously in God and and, in His love. I trust in your unfailing love. You know, over and over, I think God, God's uh, saying to you and to me, over and over, He says, can you just trust me? Will you just trust me? And if you're a parent, sometimes you have kids and they you know, say, you know, no, I can't, no. And, and you, have to, you have to teach them, you've got to trust me. I know what happens when you walk out in the street with cars that are going by. I, you have to trust me that you cannot do this, Right? And you have to, and the kids learn. God says, trust me. Can you just trust me? I know what's going on. I know about all that stuff you're facing, all those five things. He says, trust in my love, the fact that I love you. It's unfailing. His love is unfailing. No matter what, his love remains. We're going to sing, it, sing about it in a couple minutes. Trust him. We were, we were at uh, our uh, leadership conference in New Hampshire, and one of the pastor's wives said this. She said, I will never regret trusting the Lord. She said, I will regret not trusting Him. I'll never regret trusting the Lord. You'll never regret it if you just trust Him and put your lives in totally in His hands. And then we know what the Bible says, that nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing can separate. So we need to trust Him that, that, that He knows what's going on, that He's still on the throne, that He loves us completely and totally, that, that all things work together for good, that He will not leave us or forsake us. So the first thing is trust. Trust. Simple trust. Another word for trust is what? Faith. Faith and trust. You have faith in God, you just trust Him. You just trust in Him. You trust Him. Trust in His love. The second one there is rejoice. He says, my, my, my heart rejoices in your salvation. He said he had sorrow in his heart every day. And now he says, my heart rejoices in, in your salvation. In other words, not in the circumstances, not in the sorrow, but in the Lord and in His salvation. This is where we're going to find joy. And this isn't happy, happy. This is a deeper kind of thing. This is way different than just being happy. Find joy in the salvation that's given by God. Go with what you know. You don't know a lot of things, but you know that He sent Jesus, right? You know that He sent Jesus to to die upon the cross and, and give you His salvation as a free gift. So go with what you know, that Jesus came and died that we might live, that Jesus is our Savior in this life and, and, and in the life to come. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Again, you have, to, you have to shift your focus. You have to shift your focus upon all these things that are reality and true, though some of them are definitely exaggerated, but, but focus on what God has done and who He is. <clears throat> One man said this, I don't, I don't know of anything but the salvation of God that can enable people to joy in the midst of sorrow. 
and to praise in the hour of trial. There's nothing that's going to get, nothing else is going to get you there. We turn to a lot of things, though, don't we? We turn to drugs, alcohol, anything to try to deaden that stuff that's happening. We turn to relationships. We turn to things that we shouldn't be doing. He said nothing but the salvation of God that can enable us to find joy. I want you to turn to one of the minor prophets because this is, a, this is another one of my favorite uh, verses. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Now, you're going to have to have trouble finding that one, I know. Let's see. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So look, look for Nahum. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Nahum, Habakkuk. Some say Habakkuk. Obadiah. Oh, I went too far, didn't I? Hosea, Joel, Amos. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. I skipped three, didn't I? Man, I'm taking a long time here to find this, so don't feel bad. Habakkuk. Not sure if I would like to have that name. What would be your nickname? Habby? Just call me Happy. Happy, Happy. Verse 17, Habakkuk chapter 3. This is crazy. This is crazy. Now, you need to know where this is because when things are just not going on, you need to know where this is. You need to find it, mark it. Verse 17, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in those circumstances? Obviously not. In the Lord, and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Yet, despite all that, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. That's what David is saying, isn't it? I... My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You need to know where that verse is. And finally, the last thing in, back in uh, Psalm 13, he says in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. I will sing to the Lord. Now, you got to know, David, you know... David, uh, he was the singer of Israel, they called him. He wrote so many of these songs. But, but David, he, you know, we relate to him because he emotionally he was like way up and way down and all over the map and everything. But he, he had this kind of thing about music, right? And he'd play his little, you know, Les Paul guitar. And, and you know, he, he had the stuff that, you know, he could, he could make these songs. And, and, and you know, with, when, when Saul was the king, he'd play 
you know, his guitar, and, and, and then the demons would kind of like let Saul alone for a little while, and, and that kind of thing went on. But, but David, he understood about music, you see. And, you know, there's something very, very powerful about it. But he also knew that, that, you know, it was a choice that he had to make. He says, I will sing to the Lord. He made the choice, I will sing. Did he feel like singing right at that moment? I, I, I don't think so. Oh, man, God's just given me a song, you know. No, he, he, it, we already read what, he was going, what was going on in his life, verses 1 and 2. He was like going through the mill, but he says, I will sing despite. And just like we said about 2 Chronicles, something started happening. You got to get some songs going in your lives, people. You got to get some CDs in your car. Forget the cassettes. That's all the devil's music. We need to get God's song in our hearts and lives. We need to get going on some stuff. And, and even when it doesn't feel like stuff's going on, start playing the music and you hear that song, Our God, Our God. And if our God is for us, who can be against us? And in and, and the words of God through the songs of God, getting into us, he says, I will, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. He's looking back, in other words, to what God has done in the past, not what God has done right now, not in the situation, the circumstances right now, but listen, God was faithful to me back then. And so I'm going to sing knowing that he's going to do something for me now too. I don't see you don't You don't wait. Well, God, after you give me deliverance, then I'm going to sing. That's not what he said. He said, I will sing because of what you did for me back in past days. For he has been good to me. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. This song that they would sing, this was after the fact of what had happened, but this song was like throughout, throughout their history. They would look back and say, remember what God did for us in the, in, in the deliverance from Egypt, the exodus we call it? That's what he's referring to. The horse and its rider, he is hurled into the sea. The enemy, he wiped them all out there back in the Red Sea when he, when he let the people of Israel go through, and then the, the water came and, and wiped out all the enemies. So they were to sing this song that God has, God has done it, he, and, he's, and he's able to do it again. He's faithful in the past. He will be in the future. Singing before the answer. Say, oh, I can't do that. No, no. Oh, yes, you can, but you got to choose to do so. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. Maybe you say, I only sing in the shower. That's all I sing. Go for it. Maybe you need to make that bathroom uh, soundproof. That's okay. Some pound on the door. Stop that! I can't take that singing. That's not singing. But but between you and God, it is. You know, it's 
why we sing songs of all different kinds. We sing very short, little, simple scripture songs or short, short little songs, you know, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, songs you can remember. Sing it to him. You don't even have to make noise. Sing it to him in your heart, in your mouth, inside your head and in, inside your heart. What? Someone said that they went from howling to singing. That's a big change. What do you want to be known as, a howler or a singer? From despair to prayer and then to these three things here, trusting, rejoicing, and singing. And that's all before anything ever was fixed. That's all before he knew the answer for all those things. Don't say, well, when it, you know, after God delivers me for all, then I'm going to trust him, then I'm going to rejoice, then I'm going to sing. No, David says, no what, now's the time for that stuff. Now I trust, now I rejoice, and now I sing, knowing that God is in control and He's the great and almighty God. You see, you see what I'm saying? Right on, is what I say. 